This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. Hey everybody, this is Phil Town. And this is Danielle Town. Welcome to the Invested Podcast, where we have been deeply invested, <laughs> invested <laughs> in. <laughs> I think this, we're the only people who think that's hilarious every time. I think it's hilarious. <laughs> in this great investing strategy developed by Ben Graham and Charlie Munger, Warren Buffett, and carried on by fabulous investors around the world, 90 years of massive success. Uh, creating generational wealth for thousands and thousands of people who follow this kind of investing. We're trying to make sure you guys all understand the advantages of it um, and what you need to well, have in order to do it well. That's, yes, that's the thing. Right. How the heck does one do such a thing? And one of the things that's good to do is to listen to the masters. Indeed. When you have a chance to go sit at the master's knee, and get get wisdom from a great master of some something you're studying, you you take advantage of that, right? And so we get to go sit at Charlie Munger's knee. How Charlie just had his annual meeting and he's 98 years old. We don't know how many more of these he's gonna get, but probably not an infinite number, right? So we take advantage of it and and by the way, you can take advantage of it too. It's on YouTube or yeah. it's on Yahoo. It's on somewhere. Where where can they find it? Yeah, Yahoo Finance broadcasted it, and so it's on YouTube. If you just put in uh, Munger Daily Journal 2022, it'll come up. And um, there are also transcripts all of the all over the internet. If you put in transcript, people have transcribed it already. So it's uh, it's really nice to just, as you said, listen to the master, even though. In general, like both he and Buffett say a lot of the same stuff every year at their annual meetings. I think it's really, really nice to just just listen, even if it's the same. Listen, well, and Becky, then there's quick. always a bunch of stuff that isn't the same. And yeah, it's very, that's what we're going to talk about. Stuff that isn't the same. Becky Quick jumped right into a bunch of questions about China. There's a there's a sort of a. I don't know. Uh, uh, well, there's a practical question, a pragmatic question about China. Will the Chinese Communist Party confiscate the wealth of all the capitalists mm. in China? Mm. That is that was the first question. And Charlie basically is saying everybody's going to look at it differently. Everybody's entitled to their own opinion. In his view, he doesn't think they will. Um and that we're getting really a lot more value in China than any place else in the world, perhaps, and that other companies like Sequoia, one of the leading VCs in the world, is doing the same thing, going to China. Um, so basically, Charlie just said, "It's I don't think it's a problem. Yeah. Um, he said that uh, I feel about Russia the way you're talking about China, essentially, about uh, the great risk of investing in either China or Russia. He's saying he doesn't invest in Russia. So I can't criticize people who don't invest in China. But he says, quote, I just reached a different conclusion. So I think what he's saying generally, and there were probably five or six questions around China, what China's doing, the combined risk of government uh, 
potentially confiscating, potentially having um, security issues, issues with the West, potentially having conflict, and of course, human rights abuses. And he just kind of kept saying the same thing over and over. We invested because it was cheaper than the U.S., And because uh, he said, quote, if you hold a depreciating currency, that's losing purchasing power. And on balance, we prefer the risks we have to those we're avoiding, end quote. So I took it as he's saying the dollar is riskier than investing in China. And he was able to get some deals in China. So that's where he went. I think it's it's more than that, honestly. You think it's more than that? Yeah, I think Charlie is saying that he admires China very much. He admires the leadership in China mm. um, and, and that he admires what they've done to a, a country of a billion people in an unprecedented short period of time and that they couldn't yeah. have done it without the sort of top-down authoritarian regime that they have um, of, you know, of restricting news, of, of demanding that everybody in the borders of China become, become Han Chinese. Um, they're just out to set up the country differently than other people. And Charlie's basically like, hey, I, I think we have to get along in the world. Everybody doesn't get have to do it our way. Um, they can do it other way. We're not perfect. We don't walk on water. We shouldn't expect that of other people either. Yeah, yeah. he really kind of blew it off. The massive problems that China has with human rights abuses. And a lot of people choose not to invest in China because of that. And I'm one of them. I don't own any Chinese companies and I've decided not to because I have severe issues with the way they're handling that. I think, I think it's uh, maybe um, one of the most interesting questions you can have as an investor. I'm, I'm reminded, I hope this isn't too far afield. I'm reminded of, of uh, a couple of times I've been in Africa doing uh, riding across different parts of Africa and sort of here's here I am rich guy right and I'm spending a lot of money to be on horseback and be all primitive and everything and and riding through Africa coming on to a village where the village has been hired by our safari leader to take care of the horses and take care of the big house the big house built back by the British in 1919 or something and so here are maybe 60 women employed in the house full time and six, 60 zero? 80 men six zero and in a house six, mm-hmm. I remember now people are coming in from overseas and going on oh so it's more safari. like a hotel okay it's a bit a bit hotelish yeah okay uh yeah okay it's a it's a an amazing 19th century guest B&D. house kind of yeah yeah sort of thing okay and then there's 60 80 guys who are employed handling horses and and the men are paid $2 a day and the women are paid a dollar. So is this, you know, uh, explore, exploitation of, of people is a ridiculously low amount of money to pay someone. I mean, these people are living in mud huts. They have to tend their own gardens. I mean, we went into one of the huts and visited one of the women that just had a baby. And I mean, they're and living in the same conditions. it's a colonial building that was taken on land taken from them when the colonists right. came in. Sure. So how do you feel about that? Do you, how do you feel about um, this, this um, entrepreneur who came from England and is now employing people in this village 
is that a good thing or is that a bad thing? And I, I'll tell you what, that is, if you think that's a simple black and white question, I think you have not understood the problem. Yeah, I hear Because you. the problem is Kenya has 40% unemployment. If these guys, I mean, this village is so fortunate to have a, a patron, if you will, you know, who is there to protect them, to make sure that they have enough to eat, to make sure that they have jobs, to make sure that they are, you know, under his umbrella of protection. Very paternal, 100% paternal, very uh, aristocratic, classist. You might even say, maybe it's even racist, although I don't know if the race would matter at all. It's just poverty, you know? So are you okay with that? Or do you think, oh, no, we should never be involved with that. And then those people go starve. Right? I mean, it's just not simple. It is. Do you think it's simple? I, I don't think it's simple. I agree that it's not simple. How I'm trying to figure out how to relate this to China, but I think we'll get there. I think... With those situations, I mean, what people talk about, of course, is the hundreds of years of subjugation and colonialism that have created that situation and what could have happened if the colonialists hadn't come in and that maybe without them, people who are indigenous could rebuild. So that's the that's the back and well, forth. Wouldn't the answer to that be, well, that's all water under the bridge? So what? No, if they left now, this is why people are being killed in Af white people are being killed in Africa so over if they the left land. Now, yeah. So if they leave, okay, so he leaves. In other words, it would be the least courageous thing in the world to just leave. I mean, hey, I'm out of here. Adios. Have a good life. Enjoy Kenya. Well, who cares about his courageousness or lack of courageousness? Well, I think it takes a great deal of courage <laughs> to do the opposite. I think that's that's the whole point is or that's one of the major points is that to to go into a place and be accused of exploitation when what you know you're doing, or at least from his point of view, I, I had dinner with this guy for many, 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 many nights in a row. Right. I probably spent a month of dinners with him. And ultimately, he was murdered by oh jealous gosh. tribesmen. I was saying that totally randomly out of news reports. But this is somebody who. Was yeah, actually killed. He, he was he was lured out away from other protection on a horse, and was ambushed by a bunch of Samburo warriors with uh, AK forty sevens. Wow! And his body laid there apparently for a couple of days before somebody flew over, and noticed a horse was laying there on the ground, and and uh, called back in. He, I mean, he obviously you go to, he would go into the bush for days at a time, and uh, nobody'd hear from him. He'd come back. He'd been doing it for thirty years. So he had established a very deep relationship with the uh, Maasai tribe and the Samburu are often competitive. And these people are in a very terrible situation. Modern technology has resulted in um, um, dropping precipitously the, the birth death rate. And as a result, they're overpopulating their land. They're, they're farmers and graze, they graze cattle. That's how they make a living. And they're out of land. And here's this white guy who 30 years ago um, bought up, put together a syndicate and bought up 40 or 50,000 acres of land owned by other Europeans that had just been barbed wired, fenced and let run down. And he tore out all the fences. He let the animals roam through it. He opened up enormous amount of grazing to the herds uh, of wild animals that are there. 
Um, he did a wonderful thing for Kenya, and people want to go and see it and bring money into Kenya. And the Samburu, naturally, want that land. Yeah, I mean, it's I think saying he did land. a wonderful thing for Kenya is a pretty big judgment there, because obviously a lot of people think he didn't do a wonderful thing for Kenya. So that's huh. why it's complicated, right? Like, as you started out saying, it's not easy. I don't easy. know how you could say that he, you know, taking land from other Europeans that had been just absolutely trashed and fenced and turning it into open space isn't a wonderful thing for Kenya. How would that be a bad judgment? Now I can see I that. Know. I don't I know can the details of this. You are telling okay, me everything me just, about it. Me, okay. All right. So there's terrible judgments all the way along. I guess the whole point of this is that it's very difficult to avoid value judgments as an investor. If you want to invest in Africa, in Kenya, Argentina, Brazil, you know, New Zealand, China, what, how do you, how do you, how do you square your values with countries where the, the values aren't the same or there is uh, vast gaps in wealth? I mean, how do you square that up? And one way to do it is to just put your head in the sand. Stick your head in the sand and don't, don't think about it. Or you could just and invest wherever you want, right? That's one way to do it. That's pretty uh, much way the way it, most people do it, yeah. <laughs> that's the way most people do it. So if you have an international bond fund or an international stock fund, guess what? You own pieces of all of that. Yeah. Right? You just don't want to know you do. Um, or you can just simply say, I'm not investing in anything that I don't absolutely 1,000% think is fantastic. And you find yourself owning Facebook. And then there's huge controversy, Are you fun, right? Or Amazon, and, uh, and more huge controversy, right? Or I as mean, we've, I mean, as we've constantly said, there's no perfect company. There's no beautiful, amazing perfection in the most, you know, perfect, unsullied country. I mean, isn't there something in the, in the Bible that world. just says, if if you're living in a glass house, don't throw rocks? Yeah. I mean, right? I mean, maybe that should apply here. Don't be so critical of everything and cut some slack and realize that there is, you know, life is rough. Life is a rough place and it is tough for people to make it and to, you know, to, to not be in their shoes and then make all kinds of judgment calls about what's going on there is a, a rather dangerous enterprise morally, you know? And that's why... Most religions have some sort of of uh, admonition against being so critical and so judgmental that you can't allow somebody different than you to operate. Yeah, but that's on, uh, a, that's on a like moral level, not on a what to invest in level, like an interpersonal level versus like, here's what I'm literally going to support with my money. I think for me... I'm not so much about forgiveness when it comes to what I'm going to literally support with my money. I would like to know that it's going to stuff that is creating good things in the world that I want to grow. So it's important to me that I'm comfortable with those things. And I know it's important to you as well. So all these it people is. who invest all across the world, regardless of whatever's happening, in my opinion, are not they're not doing this kind of investing. They probably own a thousand different 
little pieces of things and they're really just looking for payout quickly probably within three to six months so i guess for me and i think to a certain degree for charlie is you sort of decide you're going to allow there to be white cats and black cats in the world and you're okay with investing in them um as a moral decision i mean you you just what does that mean it means that you're okay with things being different than the way you would do them oh huh so so i don't think charlie thinks that i think he definitely thinks it's okay for things to be different than how he would do them he said that lots of times in the talk i don't think he puts his money in things that he thinks are terrible at all i don't think he does either i I I don't know what the white cat where do you draw the line terrible Ah, what do you mean by that is like the life question right and i guess the point here you guys is we want you to make those decisions for yourself not have somebody else make them for you and the first step in that process is to realize those questions are they exist they exist so for example we were just talking about um, a safari guy exploiting um, tribal people in Kenya. How is that different than McDonald's exploiting people that don't have real lots of options for where to work and paying them $12 an hour? How's that different? Is $12 an hour as good in America as a dollar a day is in Kenya? Which one gets you a better life? This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. So I, these are, to me, these are wonderful these questions. Are, and they're I think wonderful ducking questions. Them, ducking them is, I think, cowardly, honestly. I think a lot of people duck them because they don't have the courage to face up to their own contradictions. And you're going to have contradictions in the world. You're going to have places where there's no perfect answer. And I think investing is a place where you can confront that or you can just stick your head in the sand. And as much as I love Jim Cramer for so much of what he does, I like the guy. He is a stick-your-head-in-the-sand guy at Mad Money. He does not want to confront the morals of a company um, and, and their operations at all in any way. And you can see why. These questions are difficult. And when you start to weigh in on them, you might find yourself uh, very uncomfortable about where your money should go. Yeah, and I completely agree that smart, good people will come to different conclusions. So Charlie Munger has said he's investing in China. He has invested in China. He is defending investing in China. You have also decided that you're cool with that. And I don't know if you've invested, but you're looking at investing in China. And I am coming down on a different side of that decision. But what I really appreciated about what Charlie said, even though he danced around it a lot and it was kind of annoying. He um, he said different people can come to different conclusions about this issue and I can see where they're coming from. And I think that's that's what it comes down to. This isn't black or white, as you astutely pointed out. It's 
something, particularly investing in China, something where a lot of smart people are coming down on one side or the other. And it really is, at the end of the day, a value judgment about one risk and about two, what you're okay with your money supporting. And, and I think Charlie as long as you've gone through the thought process that you're talking about, I'm cool with it. Like I have, it's not just you. I know other investors who are investing in China and I get it. So, so Charlie's sitting here going, oh, you know, I think we should, you cannot, you know, I feel about Russia, what you feel about China. It's a big yeah. world. We can all be in it. Kumbaya. And then well, immediately talks <laughs> about crypto kumbaya. and says crypto is beneath contempt. Yeah. I love it. So he goes from, hey, we should all just be in this together. You can have your idea. I can have mine. And then over to something that is one of the hottest gambling devices on the planet right now. Somebody asked him about Kip. He says it's beneath contempt. Because those are completely too, like, this is like full apples and oranges situation, right? One is entire countries that are treating people terribly in various ways on various levels of the spectrum of terribleness. And the other is a financial instrument. So I have a hard time with comparing. Well, those try things. this out. It's a financial instrument that's being used in tax evasion. It's being used in kidnapping. It's being used in drug running. I wish they had been banned immediately is what Charlie says. He says, I admire the Chinese for banning it. True. That's, There's a lot of moral true. content you're right. to he, that. Yeah, you're totally right. He actually did make a lot of, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so I find it, here's Charlie. You imagine if somebody goes, I think it's beneath contempt to invest in China. I think he'd I think be, like, be like, I get it. Whoa. No, I think I genuinely think he'd be like, I get it. I disagree because I think they've done a lot of uh, commendable things. And I think that's probably true. Um, With Charlie, he's but pretty, I think he pretty would be like, I get it. Absorbing that. And yeah. uh, but you had to be pretty rational to absorb that and not feel the emotional content of saying that your investment is beneath contempt. Yeah. It's like saying you're beneath contempt <laughs> a little bit, maybe a lot. So anyway, crypto, he doesn't love crypto. Um, no, what else? That, okay, we're moving on away from China. Oh, he's talking about the the wretched excess of the past year with Bitcoin, GameStop, um, AMC, just using the stock market like a gambling parlor. Um, yeah. Oh, can we talk about that for a second? Because I yeah. like highlighted the crap out of that one. <laughs> um, I just loved this because this is like. So this being the conundrum between short-term investors and long-term investors being in the same stock market with entirely different points of view, choices, and incentives for making those choices. And I think that this is this this tension is what kept me from being even interested in investing most of my life. I I truly think that if there were not this trading culture and the and the in and out and the like get rich quick and the financial channels and all of that. I think I might've been more interested in talking to you about investing a lot earlier yeah, because it would have been true. about true, like what do you own and what are the products and like, what are the companies that you're owning for a long time? That's so like, obviously that's so much more interesting to me than this like quick stuff. And so what Charlie said about it is, that 
we have a stock market that people use as a gambling partner. And there are people who love that side of the business. And then there are people who want to make long-term investments, take care of their old age, etc. And then put that in one market and it goes out of control. So he says, right. if I were the dictator of the world, I would have some kind of tax on short-term gains that made the, the stock market less liquid. The reason it goes out of control is that when you have gamblers in their... Um, who are driving a stock and driving momentum on the stock, what happens with people who want to invest for their retirement is they're priced out of the market. And since people can't be priced out of the market because they don't have any option in, in the way that the Federal Reserve has been handling interest rates, you can't put your money in a bond at you know 1.5% per year when inflation is running 7.5%. So you, know, you have to be in the market. And that you're with all of this excess gambling and, and what, what Charlie calls wretched excess going on, the prices go through the roof. And now you have retirees that have put their money into something that is inevitably going to crash. Yeah. And you've yeah, exactly. set up, you said the excess in the 1920s gave us a depression because mm -hmm. the excess brought the market to a stupid point where ultimately it has to fail. That gives the depression and the depression gave us Hitler. Yeah. He says, this yeah. is really serious stuff. And it is really serious stuff. You, The Federal Reserve has created a drunken party um, by pouring $5 trillion into the economy, helicoptering money to people who have no idea what to do with it, no training in what to do with it, no education whatsoever. They're not listening to this podcast. They just saw their friends make a bunch of money uh, doing GameStop and they jumped into it. So just no thought to the consequences long term. So how bad this is going to be, we don't know. But it's going to be bad. But he's so right. One, that yes, that it's it creates a really bad situation coming down the road. And that there's something they could do about it. Like putting a tax on short-term gains would be the easiest solution ever. Yeah. Simple. And yeah. would you want to tax something? Tax absolutely that. help this problem. Yeah. Like, right. Cool. <laughs> Hey, done. Good point. Like we, like he solved it. I mean, yeah. I mean, real ugh. estate isn't real estate isn't liquid like the stock market, and it doesn't seem to have any trouble. In the long run, you can count on it going up. And I mean, you know, I think these. I, mean, I think it's something to think about there for sure. Very, very. I, I don't know. Do you think that could literally happen? Because I think that the lobby of no chance could that happen is so strong now because they're making so much money off of people, you know creating brokerage Look, accounts constantly and, yeah, and exactly. trading and 80, small amounts of money. So you have all these retail investors that are trading small amounts of money. They would object. Then you have virtually all of the mutual funds out there talk like they're long-term oh, yeah, investors. Right. Such a lie. They I mean, yeah. Fidelity Magellan, the average length of time they hold a stock is under 90 days. Yeah. I mean, it's just like they're trading constantly. Very little long-term hold going on there. Um, and by the way the game is played, by having large pension funds who are dominating the market, right? They, so you have the California teach. The irony of these large pension funds, is, of course, is they're all little guy money. This is all little guy money that's dominating mm -hmm. the market. The California mm -hmm. teachers uh, pension fund is the largest investor in the world. And they pick fund managers. And when they pick a fund manager, they give him $100 million. Hey, mm -hmm. here you go, bud. Go mm -hmm. for it. And then they watch that guy every month. How you doing? How you doing? How you doing? And the moment he starts to get lower than somebody else, that pension fund manager at the California Teachers Pension Fund 
feels it's his obligation to his clients to take his hundred million away from that guy and give it to the guy who's not failing to keep up with the market. Yep, absolutely. And that puts everybody on Wall Street on a short-term leash. One month, three months, a year is forever. Nobody's looking out a year because those pension fund managers aren't looking out a year. You know, it's going to take the money though, away in a quarter. I don't know why it's like that because, like the. Um, it must be something to do with management because the university endowments don't have that same problem. Like Harvard's endowment and Yale's endowment both had managers that have become famous for being incredible long-term investors and did not have that same in and out uh, situation at all. They would, And they're rare as hen's teeth. Super rare. And I think it must yeah. be something to do with the management because those institutions have so much power that they are able to hire somebody and say like, okay, you are, you have control over this. Like we're going to go for a long-term plan. Whereas the, perhaps the more public pension institutions don't have that kind of liberty. I don't know, but it's really interesting. The difference. Of course it's evolved into the ETF world, which is now passive investing is now over 50% of the money in the U S stock markets is passively managed, which means that that fund manager has gotten away from the problem of beating the market by becoming the market. Yeah. And once you've become the market, you don't have any real big problems. You're just going to buy and sell. You buy if the market's going up and you sell if the market's going down. It's that simple. And so, great. Now the pension guys will leave their money with me. Hmm. Um, Charlie was asked about passive investing and the problem that it, if, if it has created a problem with stock valuations. And, what and do you he say had, we pick that one up next time? Oh. Oh. Let's leave you guys with something to come back for. <laughs> Passive investing is a problem or not, which is, is it? it? And probably some is of it? you are very involved in passive investing on your own. Let's take a look at that. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Until think, next time. Think about, think about the moral values of investing. As we tough, go tough, in the next week. Problem. All right. Okay. Until then, Thanks, time to go play, guys. See ya. Bye. Bye. Hi, guys. Thanks for listening to Invested. If you enjoyed this episode and you want more information or to listen to additional episodes, visit our website at investedpodcast.com and sign up for my virtual workshop right there. Spots are definitely limited for this event. I'm not kidding. They really are. They sell out very quickly. So everything discussed on this podcast, by the way, is either my opinion or it's Danielle's opinion. And I'm really important. It's not to be taken as investing advice because I am not your financial advisor, nor have I considered your personal situation as your fiduciary. So remember that you're on your own here. This podcast is for your entertainment and education only. And I really hope you enjoyed it.